Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth, excuse me, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of either healing and or spirituality and or transformation. And I am super excited about today's show. Today I will be interviewing an amazing woman named Holly McCann. And Holly and I recently crossed paths because we have a mutual love and passion for the work and the teachings of a young spiritual teacher named Bentino Massaro. That last name is spelled M-A-S-S-A-R-O. And as I got to know a little bit about Holly's story, I realized that it would be very exciting to interview her because I see very similar themes in Holly's personal journey and in the journey of uh, the next stage of Bentino Massaro's public work, which is going to be done under the umbrella auspices of a corporation called Trinfinity, which Holly is the new CEO for. And the some of the themes I see in common are the commitment to courageously follow your passion. There's wonderful lessons in terms of faith and the law of attraction. There's all sorts of incredible lessons. It's really a love story. And uh, so without further ado, I'd like to bring Holly into the conversation. Holly, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you so much, David. I'm really, truly happy to be here. Let me give the listeners a little bit more of a formal background about you. Uh, Holly sent me a brief bio, so I'm going to read it to you because I don't think I could improve on it by ad-libbing. So here we go. Holly McCann is the newly appointed CEO of Trinfinity, an organization committed to co-creating an enlightened civilization ready for interstellar citizenship by the year 2035. Holly is a self-described leadership alchemist with the depth and breadth of experience as an attorney, corporate executive, small business owner, entrepreneur, business coach, and leadership consultant. Holly spent 12 years as a lawyer, including 10 years as the vice president general counsel of a healthcare organization in Northern California. She next went on to create salutations with two award-winning stationary boutiques in North Carolina. Through sharing her experiences with other business owners, Holly went on to found Blue Sky Business Academy, where she's been coaching and consulting business leaders in marketing, systems, and abundance mindsets. Her new role as the CEO of Trinfinity is the culmination and integration of all her careers and experiences in both business and spirituality and represents her dream of dream jobs. So, Holly, why don't we start out by you taking whatever time you need 
to tell your story about your personal journey in a way that will empower us when we get to the part of the story where you uh, followed your heart and went to, Bur- to, to Boulder and within a few hours crossed paths with Ventino Massaro. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So, yeah, I would say woven throughout my entire life was a a sort of spiritual seeking. Um, I was always trying to figure out the meaning of religion, the meaning of faith. Nothing ever seemed to set right with me, and I continually was on a seeking path. And similarly, in my business world, I was on a seeking path of climbing the ladder, so to speak, of the the conventional definition of success and, you know, what's the next achievement that I can accomplish and how can I do this the right way and the best way. And so I was, you know, constantly in that flow of working really hard to be a top student in high school so I could get into a great college and being a top student in college so I could get into a great law school, being a top student in law school so I could get into a top law firm when I got out into the career world. And, Interestingly, life had a different plan for me, which I am forever grateful for, where I ended up doing what I viewed as settling for taking a job as an associate attorney in a law firm that I had been interning and clerking for during law school. And it was a local, smallish law firm, and it was not my ideal of a Big Ten top law firm in the city that I wanted to work in and that sort of thing. And I was really deflated and feeling like, wow, I I kind of failed at my aspiration of getting into this top echelon of the law field and quickly realized that it was the absolute best thing that could have ever happened in my life. In working in this small law firm, I worked closely for uh, a partner who was excellent at rainmaking and um, making relationships out on the golf course, but didn't have a huge interest in doing the actual work of the the legal work. So he would turn everything over to me. I had clients instantly. I was taking depositions. I was uh, in mediations and arbitrations. I was arguing motions in court. I actually wrote a Supreme California Supreme Court brief and argued it. I was going to Sacramento and lobbying legislation and and just really um, trial by fire, learning in an intense, um, accelerated way what it meant to be a lawyer. Um, and meanwhile, my friends and graduates um, from my law school class were working in these top 10 law firms and were miserable. They were, were sitting in cubicles, getting coffee for partners, writing research memos, <laughs> not getting any of the juice of what it meant to be a lawyer. And I was just steeped in it instantly. And I was... Um, uh, overwhelmed in a good way and challenged in all the best ways and really learned um, an incredible amount um, very quickly. And then about two years after I graduated, I was brought in-house by my largest client, um, who was a healthcare organization. Before I turned 30, I was appointed vice president and general counsel of this corporation and again was thrown into a trial by fire situation where um, I was the only and youngest, only woman and the youngest member of the executive committee, um, and reporting to the board of directors, and um, really had to deal with all those things you might imagine in the early '90s that a young female executive would have to deal with: um, challenges of having to prove myself. All of these were stories 
stories I was telling myself and creating my own reality. But it really felt like I um, sort of had two strikes against me from the beginning. So I had to do everything perfectly into the nth degree to really establish my value in the organization and credibility. And so I did. I quickly became known as the go-to person, you know, give it to Holly, she'll get it done, you know, that kind of thing. So again, created my own reality. Over 10 years, I had a lot of success in that organization and um, established a name for myself in the wider community and industry and also was being kind of crippled by the weight of my own um, making, which was a very workaholic, perfectionist, control-oriented existence. Um, and realized after 10 years of that, that I was finding myself more intrigued and lit up and inspired by, you know, where's the next direction and strategy the organization is going? How can we improve our customer service initiatives? How can we deliver more value to the members of the organization and the stakeholders and less interested in the legalities? My legal team members would come to me with different nuances of regulations and legislation. And I just would be like, oh, I'm so bored with this discussion. (laughs) And in that moment, I realized maybe I should not be the top member of the legal team. Maybe I should be doing something different than being general counsel because I was not serving the organization if I was bored in the legal world. So I gave my CEO boss about six months notice and told him that we would be moving to North Carolina and I would be looking for another position, but I wanted to help him replace that. And he, um, over the six months, tried to convince me to change my mind and stay. And when he finally realized that that was not going to happen, he approached me and asked if I would like to telecommute um, and work. And I said I would consider that as long as he would be willing to consider me working part time because I was just killing myself. I wasn't spending enough time with my two young children who were three and five at the time. And I really wanted more quality of life. And so he was open to that. And then that was a two year transition period of me flying back and forth from North Carolina to California for board meetings and team meetings and running uh, meetings on different time zones by Skype and things like that. And and in a way it was great. And in a way it was adding more pressure because I was really trying to lead a full-time job and trying to be the like half time, you know, more quality time mom that I wanted to be. So um, it was a great two years of more expansion, more learning. And ultimately I decided that what I really wanted to do was start my own business um, and be an entrepreneur and, you know, really create something from scratch. And one of the things that I loved personally was stationery and invitations and designing my kids party invitations and thank you notes and things like that. So I took about six months, talked to anybody who would talk to me in the industry, learned everything I could, wrote a business plan, which by the way, I never, ever pulled off the shelf again after it was written. Um, but went for it and opened a stationery boutique in Chapel Hill in a brand new shopping center. Again, complete trial by fire, learning on the job. I had no knowledge, even how to close out the cash register in my point of sale system the first day I opened. So it was really having to take um, some of the systems, um, corporate knowledge and experience that I had and bring that into a whole new world. And I kind of did it my own way. And, you know, over the next few years, really, again, established a successful business and name for myself in the industry. I was doing things differently than most small business owners were doing in in the world um, of retail and um, kind of established fantastic relationships with my large corporate vendors and with other retailers in the community. 
decided to open a second boutique three hours away um, and was becoming more and more of a speaker, a leader in the stationary industry, um, holding workshops and panel discussions at the local or national trade shows and things like that. Um, and again, found myself a victim of my own creation of workaholism, um, being so dedicated and committed to what I was creating that my own sort of personal needs um, and the needs of my family were going by the wayside. So I kind of hit this crisis of um, what am I doing? I'm working so hard and I'm not feeling that level of success that I feel like I should be feeling, which is more of about fulfillment and happiness and a stress-free existence. So about 2009, the really hit me where I really needed to make some big changes. And I, that was sort of the beginning of like a deep inquiry about what success even means to me. Um, and I went on a path of really trying to find a way to make money without killing myself. And that led me into a deep, deep spiritual exploration, personal journey. And then I found myself really wanting to share all that I, I was learning with the other retailers and business owners that, that I was, had been establishing really great relationships with. So while still owning my two boutiques and an online store and creating two other additional startups that I ended up closing down within, within a year, I then created Blue Sky Business Academy, which was meant to um, share the teachings of these systems and marketing um, techniques and, and routines that I developed in my business that were very successful. And I did it on a one-to-many model to where I could see bringing this company to large scale without killing myself. So I created these online membership programs where I had eight module, eight week courses filled with weekly video tutorials and worksheets and lessons and group calls every week. And, and we led those together and it was a very successful launch. Um, in my first year, I went into the six figure mark of doing that. Um, and I had a ton of success in that and was loving it. And again, reached a point about three years later where I was like, okay, this is successful. And why am I still not feeling fulfilled and happy? There's something more. Um, and then I went to a year of probably 18 months, actually of a deep, um, everything in my life up was upended by my own design. I saw that the, um, marriage that I was in after 22 years was feeling complete. And that was very difficult to make that decision to move out of that. Um, went through that. Um, my mother who had been living with me for seven years solidly. And then previous to that on and off throughout my whole adult life, um, was, uh, died of, uh, ovarian cancer, a very long, painful journey with that. Um, and my business in many ways was coming to an end. The energy that I was feeling around, it was feeling off. I was not feeling connected to the world of information marketing that felt more very masculine, heavy, and very manipulative. And I was just, I knew there was something more, I couldn't yet feel what it was, but I had the essence of the feeling of what it would feel like to be in that, um, to be able to bring all of myself, my spiritual self, my business self, um, everything that I believed about abundance and the way we actually create our world to bear in a way that really served a lot of people. And I just kept holding on to that as like, I don't know what this is, but I, I know it's there for me. And I just surrendered finally, <laughs> finally, after many years of fighting it, trying to figure it out and do it better. And no, oh, I must be doing something wrong here. How can I, how can I fix this? I finally was like, there's nothing to fix. It's something is brewing. I'm going to surrender to it and let it take me where it wants to take me. And then uh, 
after I really hit that point of surrender, everything went into warp speed and, um, things just really magically unfolded for me. I found, um, that I was very, very passionate about creating a new uh, organizational model for corporations and other organizations where people, the vast majority of the world spends the vast majority of their time. And, and many of them are miserable. And I, when I was really doing an internal check of how can we reach the most people in the fastest way to feel this sort of abundance and freedom and liberation. And I kept coming back to trace it back to the source of money and the source of money is the, the corporate world and corporate financing. And what if I could get in with, um, venture capitalists that really understood more abundance mindsets. And I was sort of exploring that path for a while because my vision was if we could bake in from the very beginning of an organization, this abundance mindset, a heart-based, purpose-driven, mission-driven organization and culture, that really there would be no stopping an organization. Um, and so I was very, very passionate about that and really feeling into, yes, there's a role for me in a, a leadership path of um, whether it's consulting or being in an organization that's creating a culture like that. And that felt very, very true to me. And yet I I didn't see where that was happening yet. I just knew that it would happen. And at the same time, I was being really pulled to to Boulder, Colorado. I wanted to make a move when my daughter graduated from high school um, this last May. And for the whole year before that, so many people I was meeting, so many companies that were lighting me up, so much of the lifestyle um, and mountain living, outdoor, healthy, active lifestyle of Boulder was calling to me. And in um, April, I made the decision like, yes, I am absolutely moving to Boulder when my daughter graduates. Um, Two days later, I found myself being invited to apply for a role in an organization here that ended up not working, but it also crystallized my vision and my passion for what I wanted to be doing that really lights me up in creating massive impact in the world through business. So I just kept saying, I don't know what Boulder has for me, but something is there for me. And I sold all of my furniture. I packed everything that I had left into, um, my little mini SUV and a U-Haul trailer and drove across country over three days. But just prior to me leaving, a friend of mine in Sweden had been a, a very staunch follower of Ventino's teachings, um, over the previous few years. And she had earlier last year shared with me one of his videos on YouTube that I very much resonated with. Um, and I thought, how have I not seen this guy? He's in all the spiritual teachers that I've explored and learned from and, and, um, kind of delved into, I had not come across him, but I really deeply resonate with everything that he's saying at the time though. I wasn't really much in the intake mode. I didn't need more teachings. I really was more focused on, on implementing the teachings that I had embodied. And so I kind of put that on the shelf, but the week before I left to drive across country, my friend, contacted me and said, she said, Holly, I woke up with this thought this morning that you're moving to Boulder and Ventino is based in Boulder. And I kind of almost fell off my chair. I was like, how can one more really amazing inspirational people person be based in Boulder? This just feels so right that I'm going to Boulder. And then as I was driving across country, I was uh, really bored driving through the cornfields of Kansas and trying to run through my head of like some inspirational video or podcast that I wanted to listen to while I was driving. And I remembered that that Bentinho, um, I'd seen an announcement that he was holding live sessions in Boulder during the month of July and was recording them. And I listened to the recordings of the first two that had taken place already. 
And then I realized it was a Saturday afternoon and I had about three more hours to drive to get to Boulder on Sunday morning. And I realized Sunday morning, like, oh my gosh, his third weekly session is happening today. I wonder what time of day it is. And I looked it up and it was at 1 p.m. And I drove into town, into Boulder at 11 a.m. And I thought, I'm going to go to that workshop. And I found you know, the directions to it, drove my still fully loaded trailer across Boulder, drove into the parking lot of this Unitarian church and was warmly welcomed into this really beautiful setting and deeply resonated with everything that Bentinho was saying um, about his message and about really putting the, the spiritual teachings that we've all been coming to and embodying and putting that into action in the world and being the change that we wish to see. And I came back the following Sunday and for his fourth and final session of July. And he, that was the one where he was laying out his entire vision for Trinfinity Corp and the massive world changing, audacious, bold projects that he and his team had envisioned. And everything inside of me was lit on fire. I mean, it, I had tears in my eyes, truth tears, as they call them. Um, the room was kind of spinning and I was like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm in Boulder. I don't know how or why, but somehow I need to be involved with this organization. And I approached, um, one of the leaders of the, the team, Ryan Brown, and I just introduced myself and just shared my excitement about what was being said. And I just said, I had some more questions. I wanted to know more about the organization, wanted to share some ideas I had. Ryan and I got together. He was saying, like, I need to share this with the team. This sounds like it might actually be a really good fit. And within two weeks, I'd say after that, I was meeting with Bentinho and the team. Within a week after that, I was invited to serve as the CEO of Trinfinity Corp. And, you know, you talk about super accelerated living, which is the title of Bentinho's new book that's about to be released. I mean, we were living it. And it's really just a beautiful tale of law of attraction that we're actually going to be publishing some videos about to share with um, the public about sort of what what law of attraction looks like in action from both of our perspectives of how this came to be so beautifully. So I'll take a breath there and let you ask me some questions about that. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. The, the thoughts I was having as you were talking was number one was how Somehow, and I don't know if you were just born with this or you had parents that modeled it or whatever, but it seems like you had an innate pre-verbal faith that um, that you could do things and, and, and a faith that um, somehow following your joy was possible and that it would lead to great things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, a lot of that, uh, it was a combination of things of the way I wired myself and my sort of family of origin. But my mother was always one who doggedly would reinforce, you can be and do anything you want to do. Uh, I was the oldest of four daughters. So very early on, I was given a ton of responsibility in my family. Most of my life was with a single mother and, um, you know, not really any money to speak of and just finding ways to be resourceful and sort of manage my family. My mom had years of back surgeries and she was disabled for many of that. And so it really, I was a parent of my family from early on. So I sort of, as a child saw kind of an, an innate power, um, that, that many kids that are able to just be kids may not really feel. So yeah, going into 
all of my journeys through school and different careers, I, I did have a sense of, I can do this. At the same time, it was sort of weighed down by a burden of, I have to do this perfectly, (laughs) which was my own journey to get through. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely in the background. Like I can do anything I put my mind to. Yeah. Before you met Bentino, did you have any major spiritual influences? Yes, yes, absolutely. I've been on my own really uh, spiritual journey. Started, I mean, I guess, like I said, my whole life I was seeking. Um, And around 2009, huge personal spiritual journey, went into Law of Attraction and Napoleon Hill and things like that. And then I'd say in 2012 was when my real spiritual awakening um, massively expanded, was looking at the Mayan, you know, calendar 2012, what's happening that drew me into, um, these notions of star seeds and light workers. And, you know, could I possibly be one of those? And that led me to a, a, a woman that I call a galactic astrologer that really opened up my world, um, to know myself as a much more multidimensional being. I was drawn to another woman who's a spiritual teacher named Jill Renee Feeler, who um, at the time, her website was called Beacon for Lightworkers and now is the Platinum Age um, and JillReneeFeeler.com, who's now a dear, dear friend of mine. And that opened up a whole different um, side of me that really allowed in that notion of I am a creator being um, th- that sort of God is within me and I'm within it. And, you know, there it's sort of that um, notion of that power from within, um, that really deeply resonated with me that felt like a remembrance. And yeah, so there was a big exploration intensely from, I'd say middle of 2012 through today of, um, knowing myself as this really, um, powerful co-creator, um, in unity with everything and, um, and the ability to really create my own, world in concert with humanity and the collective. So yeah, there's, there's been a deep, deep spiritual awakening in me that, that really amazingly coincides with Bentinho's teachings. Like we, we are constantly kind of laughing and marveling at the fact that I have not grown up through his teachings and yet we see things very much in concert. Um, very much, we may use a few different terminology or languaging, but the, the core concepts are, are exactly aligned. We'll get more into that teaching later, but just staying with your own personal journey for now, when you were going through all those years of uh, perfectionism and and kind of on the success treadmill with no deep satisfaction, did you have uh, any major health challenges? Um, yes and no. I could see I was on the brink of it. I was um, experiencing what I was starting to find as being adrenal burnout and um, really starting to feel that hormonal drag of um, no energy, exhausted all the time. Um, yeah, I could really feel and sense somehow if I don't fix this, it could get really ugly really fast. <laughs> okay, so you you were responding to the warning signals. Yes. And I was watching my mother who was being diagnosed with ovarian cancer and just had an innate knowing that illnesses and dis-ease like that are more of a uh, expression of a state of mind. So I sort of followed that path of like, how can I reframe this in a better way that's more healthy? And what about your personal life during that time? You mentioned several times your relationship with your children but you only mentioned your husband when you talked about 
divorcing. Mm. And so I don't know how long you were married or what that whole thing was all about, but as a, as an intelligent, powerful, ambitious woman who had a spiritual side, um, I would imagine that there must have been some challenges with um, uh, attracting a satisfying uh, romantic relationship. Mm. Yeah, great question. So I am thrilled to say that my ex-husband is one of my best friends. We've found a way to really move through this in a beautiful, compassionate, heart-centered way. It wasn't easy at the beginning for sure. But yeah, our whole relationship, um, I would say, was defined by a great love and support of me. I never questioned whether he loved me or supported me. He was one of my biggest cheerleaders in terms of constantly backing me in anything that I wanted to do. And he would trust me when I would have these crazy ideas like, Hey, let's move to North Carolina. Hey, let me give up this, you know, multiple six figure career to do something entirely different. And he would kind of express some sort of like, Oh, I don't know. This kind of makes me nervous, but I trust you and your ability to do it. And he would always champion that and always, um, support me in that and kind of follow my lead in a way. So I always had this fantastic source of support. And he was an amazing husband, amazing father, um, an attorney. So had his own career in his own right. Um, and yeah, I think the point where we diverged was not in a, in an affection or a love for each other, but in a, um, while he supported and acknowledged my sort of evolutionary expansion spiritually and energetically, um, he didn't really have an interest in joining me that in that he, he would say like, I, it's great that you're into this. It's not my thing. Um, and at some point I think I realized that, um, while we had, a, you know, an amazing relationship and friendship, it, it, it wasn't enough for me. And whether that meant I would spend the rest of my life alone, um, it, it just had to change. So, um, yeah, it was never a, a cantankerous con conflict ridden relationship where I just felt like I have to get out of here because it's destructive to me. Um, yeah. And so it, since then he's an amazing, amazing human being and he's been able to move past sort of the hurt and the anger and that sort of thing to say, he actually said to me very early on in the divorce process, he said, I, um, you've been my best friend for 25 years. I don't want that to change. So we've really kind of stuck to that intention, which has been a beautiful, um, way of carving out a new relationship that feels still really healthy and great for our kids. And just, um, in a, in a, just in a different way than it's been before. That's beautiful on so many levels. Um, it sounds like in that relationship, you might've been running a little more of the masculine energy <laughs> and he might've been running a little more of the feminine energy. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, I would imagine you're enjoying uh, letting that balance out a little bit for you now. Yeah, that's such a great insight, David. That's been like such the the journey that I've seen where I went very strongly into what I call the unhealthy masculine. Um, I think especially because I didn't have a strong masculine model in my father of what I considered a strong masculine model. Um, it felt like a weak masculine. So then my right. inner being sort of rebelled against that and sort of said, you know, I'm going to take on that 
that role. And so I sort of, uh, had great disdain for anything that felt like weak leadership. Um, and included in that was at the time, um, a view of feminine, um, power as being weak. So I really lived that for many, many years of that sort of what I now call unhealthy masculine of control oriented perfectionism, workaholism, go, 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 do, do, do. And then I really, by necessity and survival, had to swing wide through an exploration of the feminine and really surrender to like the knowings of the goddess and the priestesses of Isis and really that very deep feminine power to really see the amazing power that exists in the feminine and then have that pendulum swing back to the center where it rests really beautifully in a natural state of just integration and harmony of both the masculine and the feminine. But yeah, that definitely was my journey to swing wide into the masculine. So yeah, it was great intuition on your part and insight. It's beautiful. Uh, a book that I'd like to recommend for uh, both men and women that are exploring the greater appreciation of the authentic feminine power is a book that was channeled by Tom Kenyon, where he channeled Mary Magdalene called The Magdalene Manuscript. Oh, yeah, I'm quite familiar with that, that book. I love that book. Uh, Tom and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, I, there's a real soul connection there with a lot of his work. So I'm glad you crossed paths with that. Absolutely. I feel like there's a very deep soul connection for me with Mary Magdalene and Jesus and the Hathors and Tom Kenyon and his sound vibration. So yeah, definitely. Great. And uh, have you read the another book that he channeled about, um, oh gosh, it starts with an A. Oh, the Arcturian Manuscript. No, I've not read that. I resonated so much with that. So much with that. Anyway, um, before we pick up the thread of your story and we start talking about what it was like to meet Bentinho's inner circle and to begin to integrate with that, I think it would be useful in giving the listeners more context if I spoke for a while about my experience of Bentinho's teachings and why I think um, they're where I want to be putting my energy right now. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Okay. So I'm 60 years old and I've been consciously on the spiritual path in this lifetime for about 41 years. And uh, many of my listeners know that my first physical plane, major physical plane teacher in this lifetime was Werner Erhard, who was the founder of EST. And um, I think because of my particular soul's background, I had a particularly powerful breaking open or awakening during that period of study and um, at a young chronological age had a tremendous amount of wisdom and knowledge uh, kind of data dumped from my soul into my brain and into my conscious mind. And um, so I had the blessing and the challenge of having a lot of spiritual knowledge without a lot of real life experience as a human being in this incarnation, but I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I mean, I knew I was still really a screwed up 19 year old, but somehow I knew that it was all going to work out and I was all going to, I was going to heal. And um, I knew that I was a healer and a teacher and I didn't have the light worker word yet, but that came through a few years later. And then as I, 
got into my early 20s, I realized I had a gift for healing, and I'd always been a good teacher. And uh, I also had a passion for creativity and entrepreneurship. And and I knew that I wanted to heal my scarcity consciousness. I grew up in a uh, family that had been war-torn. My mother and father had been really impacted by World War II and had a lot of wounds from that and a lot of scarcity consciousness that uh, I imbibed and I it didn't sit well with me and I knew I wanted to heal that and I had a real creative entrepreneurial streak as well. And so I had the privilege of being the youngest person in a class of 60 at, in 1978 at the age of 22 I was in a uh, six-week immersion program called the Berkeley Business School, which was the first attempt that I know of on the North American continent to integrate spiritual principles with best business practices. And that was really powerful. Got to spend a few days with Bucky and uh, some other leaders and got to see, again, I'd seen this with S, but then again, with the Berkeley Business School, I got to see the literally miraculous results that could be produced when an aligned group of old souls would get together and focus their energy on accomplishing something. It was uh, an experience that I'll never forget. And uh, over the years, I continued to mature in my spirituality. I was drawn mostly to the uh, radical, non-dual type of realization teachings where you know yourself beyond any circumstances, you know yourself beyond any experience, any content of experience, any mood, any attitude, any point of view, any memory, any opinion, and uh, even any presence or even anything that could be defined. And I have been rooted for quite a while in a pretty radical sense of uh, being that is very comfortable with um, everything, nothing, infinity, and uh, that felt very familiar. And then I'd also been exposed to a lot of the manifestation, metaphysical law of attraction teachings, but none of them really stuck with me because they were not grounded in this radical, infinite realization. And I knew that the premature application of those teachings would ultimately just delay people's um, journey into truth and would be compensatory and would uh, ultimately trap them even more in a lot of egoic uh, scarcity-based logic systems. And so um, I never really embraced the manifestation actualization side of the picture as much as I would have liked to because it just never fit for me. And then um, and then, what was so exciting was to come across Bentinho's teachings, which uh, before I even knew the structure that he had set up for his teaching, I realized that what he had done was seamlessly integrate the path of self-realization and the path of self-actualization. And his teachings about... Uh, simultaneous parallel realities, and many other things helped me to realize that I could apply uh, principles like the law of attraction and the law of allowing and all of that from a heartfelt, sacred, uh, rich place. And uh, I had been 
I think in retrospect, I think that's why I incarnated. Part one of the reasons I incarnated was to balance that out in myself as well as many other service-oriented wanderer-type reasons. But um, that's the reason I'm so excited. Well, one of the reasons I'm so excited about Bentinho's teachings is that it's a, uh, in my experience, it's a seamless integration of the best in the non-dual self-realization teachings and the best in the manifestation teachings. And then another thing I'm really excited about, about Bentinho and his teachings is that his teaching is a living teaching. He is the teaching. He lives it. He, he functions from a very high level of consciousness. So the, the fact that it's a living teacher and the teaching is alive is, uh, you know, really a, a treat. You don't always have that. And then the other thing that's really exciting is the timing of it, because uh, it seems to me that as Bentinho enters into his late, late 20s, and he comes into his adulthood as a human in this incarnation, it seems to me that he is embracing the um, taking a deeper look at the forces that are at play at a societal level that make this game particularly challenging, and he's putting his talents and his consciousness and his commitment to um, actually confronting those forces in a skillful way, which a lot of spiritual teachers historically have um, not been willing or able to take that on. And a lot of the activists have taken it on in a way that actually perpetuated the problem. So those are those are some of the things that contribute to my passion about doing what I can to support uh, and be an active participant in the community that Bentinho is attracting around him. So I wanted to kind of float some of those um, keynote ideas and then throw it back to you to see if you wanted to play off of any of those thoughts before we proceed. Yes, and that was beautiful. I'm hearing an echo now. Are you hearing that, David? Okay, maybe it was, yeah, it's momentary. Good. Uh, yes, I completely resonated in so many parallel ways with everything that you said. That's been my experience when I was really my whole life, but then in the warp speed mode of my spiritual awakening of since 2012, I would delve into all these different teachings and try them on for size and still not feel fulfilled, still feel like there's something missing. And really a theme that has played out in the way that I've wired myself, my whole journey has been, how do we take the best of all of this and bring it together into something new that really works in a holistic, integrated, cohesive way? And that is exactly what I found in Bentinho. It's, he does pull in law of attraction. He does pull in, you know, the creationism. He does pull in the non-duality, but he does all of it in a very holistic way. There is none of it that's myopic, that's narrow-minded, that's like it's this way and not that way. It's it's a recognition at a deep level that there are everything is truth at different levels and dif different dimensions and vibrations. Now, how do we choose the one, you know, the sort of amalgamation that works um, for the thing that most excites us in this timeline that we want to co-create. And um, that is something that so deeply resonated 
place with me that I feel so at home for the, really the first time I'm like, yes, this is his teachings and his community and his heart is everything that I feel is true about where humanity is moving right now. It's this beautiful harmonization and synthesis and co-creation that's ready to be birthed on the planet. And in some ways, I feel like I, I question whether it's a, it's a maturation of Bentinho sort of becoming into his adultship. There's a part of me that feels like he's always seen this and he's just been sort of navigating the flow of um, what humanity is ready for. And it feels like he's got this really amazing way to tap into the pulse of the collective. And, and by collective, I mean the collective humanity and collective cosmos of like where, where the next, you know, thing wants to move in this timeline. So um, yeah, for me, it's, it really is a living, breathing embodiment of the best of all worlds. And, and you're exactly right. He, without question, I can say he absolutely lives his teachings. I've experienced many teachers who feel like they've come up with a framework and a set of teachings and that's it. And, and it might evolve slightly, but it's really kind of like, this is the way it is. He is continually challenging himself to live his own teachings and to expand his own teachings. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really a beautiful thing to be around. Do you have any thoughts about the kind of interesting drama within the spiritual leadership community of the spiritual leadership community response to Bentinho? Mm, interesting. Uh, speaking purely from my own perspective, um, I would say it's a reflection of um, – an attachment to ego that's still present in these different spiritual teachers that are being triggered by Bentinho. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> um, that it, when I see that reactionism to Bentinho and the way he's operating, it really surfaces like a, ah, here's an edge for these people to explore about why they're reacting so strongly to this. And what's the story that they're telling themselves that's causing them to sort of push against that and, um, and, and, discount it and want to shoot it down. It's really interesting. What would you say to the people that would critique Bentinho to say that Bentinho makes the a priori assumption that if you have an issue with his teachings, it's because it's stuff that's coming up for you as opposed to maybe something being valid for Bentinho to look at? Mm, great, great question. Yeah, I don't have a definitive answer. And I'll just tell you off the top of like my instant feeling about it is um, sort of a I, I listen to two voices in my head. One is that on, on its face or at one vibrational level, you can say that that's sort of the epitome of egotistical, um, myopic teaching of like, well, if you don't agree with me, then you must be wrong. <laughs> and I can also see at a more expanded level that it's actually the case that I've found time and time again, any time that I've kind of felt a little like wobble with, uh, is this what he's really saying? Or why am I feeling this like reaction to that? It's always something that is an attachment to a story that I'm holding within myself. Repeatedly, I've seen that even in the short time that I've been with Bentinho and the group. Um, so yeah, experientially, I've found that to be the case. So and I also believe that everybody has their own journey and their own um, way to move through this timeline. So there's huge value that if 
if they're really feeling like Noah Bentinho is wrong, he'll come around to seeing it. You know, that's something that wants to play out in their world and that's fine. There's no judgment there. Um, so it's not like a, Oh, they'll eventually come around to see it the right way. There is no right way. It's whatever's right for each individual. So I sort of hold this loosely of observing and kind of having a loose, like, Oh, I see an edge that's there to be worked with this person. Um, but not being so like, no, Bentinho is right. You must listen to absolutely everything he says because he's the only one that has it right. It, it's really a um, holding all of those truths at the same time in a very interesting way. The reason I bring it up is that that particular gambit of whenever anybody offers a criticism to say, well, that's just your stuff getting triggered. That's one of the hallmarks of a cult <laughs> where the right. where the where the level of truth in the teaching is not being able to be sincerely questioned. Yes. Yes. And we've been having lots of discussions around that as we've really been um, crystallizing the cohesion in our team. And it's um, really remarkable. So again, from my own personal perspective, what the way I'm viewing it currently is that there are many uh, levels of truth and truth is truly in the eye of the beholder and whatever lens and perspective you're bringing to it. So you, many people can look at the exact same set of circumstances and very validly, um, be in a truth that are, is very, very different than the others. So I can absolutely see at one level of vibration that what Bentinu's um, bringing to the world and the way that we're creating this team and this organization and this movement it could absolutely at some level be viewed as a cult. Um, and at a higher level, you can see like, no, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing could be further from the truth because in my opinion, a cult is one where, um, there is a top down hierarchical superior being who says, I have the, the absolute truth and all of you are wrong. And you just need to like surrender any of your own beliefs and feelings and questions and just, blindly give away your power and will to me. And that is not at all what Bentinho embodies. He wants people to experience their own free will and not give their power away to him. And he is going to continue to hold this vision of, I see what your higher self wants to bring through, what you really want to embody in this world. And I'm going to keep mirroring that back to you. So well, this yeah. sounds like, uh, this sounds like, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to summarize by saying it's absolutely a question that's hanging in the air and I see it everywhere. And I, I can see very clearly how some people could say this is a cult. And I can say from being on the sort of inside of it and constantly having um, a radar that's that can feel when something is feeling too disempowering, too cult-like, it is anything but that. This is a perfect segue into where I wanted to go next. Okay. And that is to talk about your experience of meeting and integrating with the core group, core inner circle, uh, who works with Bentinho, and to talk about that in the context of a larger question. And that is that we're all exploring the lightworkers, the advanced lightworkers in my experience now, what's up for us is we're exploring who and what we need to be at the level of intentional community to, to bring forth what we want to bring forth. And so if you could talk about the journey of meeting and integrating and aligning and cohesing with 
the family, the community of inner circle Bentinho people and uh, getting to know Bentinho better, I think that would be really valuable for many of our listeners. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's been mind-bogglingly easy in a very um, flow kind of way. And we've all been sort of shaking our heads like, I remember a week in, I was like, it was a week ago that I joined this team and, and, you know, had dinner with you guys for the first time. And we're all like, how is that even possible? It feels like we've been together for lifetimes. And I'm sure in many ways we have. Um, and I really agree with what you said earlier about the power of an aligned, a group of aligned old souls. I mean, that is exactly what this feels like. And I sort of, it's a, it's in a way very difficult to articulate. And that's one of the challenges that we're moving through is how do we articulate like this is what it feels like when we've got a, a person who fits with the group um, or who who naturally has like a cohesion with the group. It's it's more of a I'll know it when I see it. I'll feel it when I see it, as opposed to being able to define it in advance. And that's kind of what happened with me. I um, Bentinho kind of felt into when Ryan first said, hey, I met with this woman and here's what she her, her experience and, you know, viewpoints that she has to bring to the table. And she's interested in like contributing in some way. And Uh, and he said, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, talking further with her. And he reached out to me and said, you know, I'd love to hear your ideas about ways we could work together, but first, would you be interested in meeting the team for dinner? And I could instantly see like, oh, this is beautiful because it's primarily important to him that you fit on a sort of interpersonal level before we even go to, can we work together? Which to me is foundational. And that felt like a big confirmation of like, I love this. Yes, absolutely. So we went back and forth in timing for a week or two. And ultimately, um, I met them for dinner one night where the whole team was there and just instantly felt a sense of community and warmth and belonging and no feeling like I had to be anything other than who I am and showing up fully transparently and and um, and feeling like they were all doing the same thing. And it, it, And I was struck by what an eclectic group of people they are, very different archetypes being brought to the table. And they all share such an open heart and um, an open service to all kind of mentality and framework. Um, and remarkably, I mean, we all are just like aghast at the synchronicity of the universe where I was then invited back to their office in downtown Boulder that evening to kind of hang out with them after dinner. And, and, uh, it was great to be there. And as the night unfolded, it really got real in a sense where the conversation turned to, all right, we're sort of transitioning from this band of friends and a spiritual community to a corporation who's really ready to manifest and anchor in big projects on the planet and, and be kind of more business-like. And I could see very quickly that it was this big transition phase and this shift. And so there was a very deep, open, transparent, um, in some ways you could see contentious, but not, it, it was like abilities to raise dissenting viewpoints in an open heart centered, loving way, um, that I was witness to. And I was blown away sitting there just being an observer. Um, one that I was being trusted and welcomed with this kind of, um, discussion that many sort of old paradigm communities would say, Oh, there's an outsider here. We can't actually go to this deep level of discussion. 
I was um, welcomed and trusted with that. And I had just been articulating to the group my vision of of leadership and what a, a really sustainable, abundant organization looks like. And as we sort of naturally flowed into this group discussion, I was sitting there like almost moved to tears many times saying, this is it. This is exactly what I was describing. This is what is um, required for that kind of heart-centered, transparent, um, open, abundance-based, compassionate organization and community of leaders. And they're doing it. <laughs> and I was like, there's no place I'd rather be when, than with this team who is wanting to go places and is willing to just bear their souls in a loving, transparent way. So that was really remarkable to witness. And we're continuing to move through that crystallization process. And there's been this, um, I guess, creative tension of where do you find that beautiful um, dance along the razor's edge of this is my own life versus this is life in the group? And how do you find a way to merge in the group unity consciousness and still maintain your sense of kind of individuated um, value that you're bringing to the table without it sliding into, uh, um, a separation and a, like, like, no, this is my life versus the group and business life. It's really an amazing, um, way that we're navigating through these uncharted water waters. And what is so exhilarating to me is that I always look at the micro and the macro of everything. So as we're in the midst of this crystallization of this beautiful, cohesive group that's creating a very tight container of, of concerted energy. We're also anchoring that for the collective and any other organization that wants to come together in this way. So I can see it happening vibrationally, energetically that we're anchoring this on the planet and we are intentionally planning and, and doing sort of an archiving, a documentation of the process as we go so that it can be out there for others who are trying to find their way through this same kind of process and to help normalize, not to say, yes, this, this is a template. This is how you do it. But more like, these are our experiences as we're going through this. These are the questions that are being raised. These are the tensions we're coming up against. These are how we're moving through it so that others can feel like, oh, okay, we're not going crazy that we're not hitting brick walls. This is actually a part of the process. It's really amazing. Beautiful. So, um, I really appreciate, uh, the quality of your responses and kind of the level of depth that we're able to go here. I, I, it's exactly what I was wanting. Um, and I like to take on the tough issues because they're going to come up sooner or later. So we've talked a little bit about the, the cult issue that could come up for people. I think another issue that could come up for people as they're confronting Bentinho and Trinfinity is their, questions and their stuff about money mm, about yes. about how because um, it's such a symbol for power in our culture and it has so much to do with creaturehood and survival um, and I of course I don't want you to break any confidences I don't know what level of transparency uh, to infinity is chosen regarding talking about this topic but within what you what your integrity allows, um, how transparent is Transfinity intending to be regarding the flow of money as long as we have it? And are, 
are, are people in the inner circle now able to uh, uh, support themselves through being in the inner circle or do they have to have other jobs right now? And um, I'm sure you're setting up artful, synergistic corporate and legal structures so that things are maximized for greatest contribution. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people who critique the spiritual scene uh, these days critique is they critique the clandestine nature of how money flows through religious and spiritual organizations. And I'm just wondering, I would imagine given your level of consciousness and Bentinho's in the inner circle, I would imagine that this is a topic that has come up for discussion. <laughs> Again, quite insightful, David. Yeah. And I love that you said you like to take on the tough issues. That's exactly where I come from because if there's a big elephant in the room, that's the first thing I want to jump into because that's the one that has the most power to move everything forward the fastest. So I appreciate that. And I'm happy to talk about it. And, and I will say as an overarching, we are extremely passionate about transparency. So many of the ills that are taking place in the world are from a lack of transparency and we are intending and already walking that talk. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the, additional reasons that I feel like uh, this meeting up of, of Trinfinity and me um, is so beautiful right now because I've had to work through so much of those money mindsets in my own world. As I mentioned, I grew up with very little money and part of my type A um, control orientation was very much about safety and security. Like I'm going to find the best way to make the most money so that I'll be safe and secure. And um, that was something that drove me, I can see now mostly in hindsight. Um, and that was a huge part of my unraveling when I had to just surrender to questioning everything about who I am, who am I when my business is not successful? Who am I with when I don't even know what my business is? Who am I when I don't know what my purpose is? Who am I when I don't have money coming in the door? Um, and really getting through that own, my own personal journey. And part of that was coaching about it. i put together coaching programs called wake up to your wealth. That was all about tackling head on those money malware issues that I call it of like, what are those stories and those limiting beliefs that are running through that have been so deeply conditioned and programmed in society in our own personal lives that keep us from really embodying and, and enjoying the abundance that's all around us right now. And so that bringing that sort of centered, balanced abundance viewpoint, to bear at a time when we're really having to move through that and in the world feels very beautiful. And so, yeah, to answer your more specific questions, um, we do believe very strongly in transparency. And one of the things that I absolutely loved at that live workshop that I attended with Bentinho and Boulder when I first arrived was he said, my intention is to not hold anything back from you in terms of transparency. And if I ever um, feel like it's not appropriate to share something with you. It is only because I see it as a matter of timing that if I release this too prematurely, it would basically destroy and obliterate the, the goal that, that is shaping up here. So it's not that I'm trying to hold anything back from you. It's just that it's not time to release it yet because of something needs to come into place more or something like that. So that's kind of how we're operating, not kind of, it is exactly how we're operating. 
Um, so yes, we, we, um, I stood up at the, uh, Sedona retreat, you know, in front of between the live participants and the live stream world, you know, thousands of people and said, you know, I, I agreed to take on this role with no, um, salary right now. And, um, and that to me felt so aligned with my abundance mindset of it is in no way a feeling of sacrifice or martyrdom or that sort of old poverty consciousness charity world of like, oh, well, this is something I believe in. So I'll just live like a pauper because I'm serving humanity or serving this organization. It was a deep and profound belief that we are creating something so abundant that I have a faith and a trust that even though I can't see exactly how and where that money to support me is going to come from, I trust that it will. It always has, and it will continue to do so, especially because I'm in such deep alignment with my bliss, my purpose, like where I'm headed, what I was born to do, where this organization is going. And I would be willing to say, to guess that that is the same mindset that everybody in the team is bringing. Um, we are um, in the midst of a big crowdfunding movement right now to sort of launch and fund these large audacious projects that we have going. And there is not, the inner circle team is not being um, funded in full salaries and things like that. Many, most of the people are not receiving any compensation right now. It's purely um, a a walk in faith. And like I said, not a a martyrdom sacrificial way. It's a a way of like, okay, I'm trusting that I'm going to continue to be supported in the lifestyle that I'm living and we're just going to move forward in trust and faith and create this thing. And and that's what's shaping up beautifully. Um, and it's, it's a, um, it's a beautiful demonstration of what I said to Bentinho when he said at one point, like, I wish it, it bothers me. It hurts me that I can't be paying people these full salaries right now. I want to get to that point And I'm impatient about that. And I was able to say like, but look at how beautiful this is. Like we had just been talking about how we feel into making sure that everyone who's in the sort of leadership roles of the organization are fully aligned with the vision and mission and not coming from a place of ego or, or lack or needing or wanting something from it. Um, that it's very much a self service to all kind of mindset. And I was like, how beautiful that you haven't had a free flow of money coming through the organization where people could be making six figure salaries and onward. Um, because this is a demonstration of like commitment and devotion to the, the mission and the vision in the selfless way that it takes that will then inevitably be rewarded with abundance. If that makes sense, we're not doing it in a condition like, well, if I do this and if I show up, then I'll be paid. It's more of just a trust. Of course, I'm going to be paid and supported and I just need to walk through even though I don't know how. Does that make sense? Sure. So in terms of how this is translating into uh, practical space-time reality, what are some of the ways that that's happening for people? Are, are people in the broader community stepping up and providing housing or food, or do some people just have a lot of savings that they're living on and sharing with others? How is this How is this faith and consciousness translating into some fun stories about how it's actually playing out in people's lives. Mm, yeah. And I think it's, it's a, a combination of all of that. That's just whatever is resonating with each individual is finding their own way right now. So, um, some people are, yeah, stepping up and offering up homes, but then also a lot of people are, you know, either 
dipping into 401ks or savings or, you know, um, making it work for, uh, I will only specifically in detail talk about my own life, but right now I'm, you know, transparently my business by design, I think by my higher self kind of dried up over the last year where I had very little revenue coming in, not enough to sustain my lifestyle, but I kept moving through this, um, knowing that I, the answer was not to cut back on my lifestyle, not to live like a pauper, that just continuing to be in the belief that I'm going to move forward with what, what feels in my highest alignment and it's going to be provided for. And so right now I am basically living on credit. I've got great credit from my, you know, past. And so, you know, things are going on credit cards. And, and I know that if that dried up, that I could turn to my, you know, 401k, not something that I would want to dive into because of the stiff penalties right now, but I don't ever get the sense that that's even going to be necessary. Um, it just feels like we are on the precipice of the floodgates of abundance and wealth flowing through this organization and these projects and for us individually and as a company is, is just about to just be unleashed. That's the sense that I feel very strongly energetically about. And I think that is also, there are also overtones for that collectively. In other words, I sense that there's going to be a massive shift in the fundamental balance of power and basic structural elements of the international uh, financial, economic, and banking system just within the next few months. Absolutely, yes. And that may, you know, that may open the floodgates to a tremendous amount of uh, either financial currency or the equivalent of financial currency for lightworker type projects. Yes. And especially, I mean, we getting back to that, you create your own reality. What's the story you're telling yourself? And it's, that will dictate the experience that you have. So yes, it does feel like something is about to have a massive seismic shift in the global economic system. And you could choose a timeline where you fall into fear and scarcity and lack and, oh my God, doom and gloom. I'm about to go bankrupt. I'm in fear for my very survival. And that's kind of what you'll be living. Or you can be in a state of abundance like, wow, I this is chaos right now. I don't know what's happening here. I'm just going to trust that it's all happening for my highest good and and continue to flow with that as opposed to trying to cling onto the riverbank, so to speak, and being pummeled by the rocks and the the branches that are running by. If you can just let go and surrender into the flow of that stream, you can't help but be swimming in the abundance that's there. So yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see how this all unfolds individually and collectively. Are you able to go a little bit over our usual time today? Sure. Yes. So um, I think this is important because in my experience of my own life and in working with thousands of people over the last 41 years, one of the very, very big reasons that people give for why they're not living their joy has to do with finances. And so I think this financial conversation to bring it out in the open and to let our hair down about it and to look at it powerfully is really important, not only for ourselves, but to give other light workers permission to have an intelligent conversation about this. Uh, I think it's important for people's personal development, but also in terms of representing Trinfinity, um, 
uh, I think it's important that Trinfinity get a reputation for proactively taking on the tough issues and also for not, um, you know, devolving into some kind of uh, new age flakiness either. And, uh, you know, I'm sure one of the things you're going to bring to the table is a rigor when it comes to grounding the intentions of Trinfinity into appropriate uh, legal and financial structures. And so I think one of the things that's going to uh, distinguish Trinfinity besides Bentinho's teachings in the abstract is going to be the level of maturity and courage in the conversations about the human level challenges of translating this state of being into uh, a visceral way of being in the world. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I love, and I felt a big surge of excitement, as you said, Trinfinity getting a reputation for um, really embodying that on the planet. And that's, that is our mission and vision is taking the best of all worlds and anchoring in that vision into reality and busting paradigms. I continue to see multiple times every day, everything we're touching, we are busting paradigms and we're questioning the the current, you know, du jour functioning. And why is this being done this way? And how can we do it in a way that really feels much more aligned? And one of those things is, as you said, money is very powerful right now. Truly money is neutral. It only takes on the power that we give it, but we've been conditioned to give it so much power over us that we feel imprisoned by it in many ways. And that is the very belief system that imprisons us. So if we can break out of that paradigm and say, money only has the power that I assign to it, and what, what's the story I want to tell myself around money? And if you start telling a story and living a story that says um, money is purely a reflection of the value I'm giving myself and, and what I'm bringing to the world, that, that's going to inevitably show up in your world that way. So many of these um, old paradigm beliefs in the spiritual world of, well, if you're doing good for humanity, you shouldn't be bringing in any abundance or wealth for yourself. It's complete bullshit. Uh, that is like the opposite of, you know, we're, we're creator beings. We're meant to enjoy the full abundance of everything that is on offer for us. And, um, the minute we start to constrict that flow of saying, oh, well, I'm going to just sacrifice my own needs and desires for the greater good. That's in, in a paradoxical way, an actually selfish service to self orientation that constricts the flow of creationism and abundance energy on the planet. So, that's something that we absolutely have to shift. And in fact, by the time this is publicized, um, we will have just publicly announced that we actually have already made a course correction um, in an interesting way. We came out at the Sedona retreat and launched our Trinfinity.us website with um, a, a deep description of all the many projects and the different tiers and waves and timing of the phases of the projects and the crowdfunding opportunity through it. And we announced that um, we were doing this through Trinfinity Foundation, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And the more we started looking at that and feeling into it, the more we realized that was actually not the best way to go for what we're anchoring on the planet and the the ability to um, really scale these projects. Um, we were going to be hamstrung if we stuck with that pure nonprofit, charitable, regulatory, um, constricted environment of a nonprofit, a 501c3. So 
we really kind of had to do a gut check about what actually is the best way to structure this organization going forward. And what we've come to is a hybrid where we have a for-profit organization that houses many, most of the projects um, that gives us the most flexibility for the most um, either existing funding models or emerging funding models, whether it's shareholders or some other new entity that can arise on the planet. Um, And then really keeping... um, of a strict focus on the projects that are most amenable to the existing nonprofit charitable kind of framework. And right now that's mostly in the Trinfinity education programs um, that fits the best in a nonprofit setting. So in an odd way, we were able to transparently confront that and say, gosh, you know, on the one hand, it looks like, wow, we just made this public announcement. Everybody was excited that they're Donations would be tax deductible, at least in the U.S. And and all of a sudden we're like, actually, that's not the best way to do this. And so I, I what I love about this, what thrills me about this organization is that it's not afraid to say, you know what, we kind of need to make a course correction. We thought this was the best way to go with the best of intentions. We wanted to allow the most flexibility and, and benefits to the most people when they contribute with their money to these organizational projects. And yet that in a a really interesting way that was going to limit our ability to actually make good on these projects and give the most benefit to humanity. And in and of itself, that shows and reveals a huge flaw in our system. If, if people that want to make a massive impact for the good of humanity are feeling like they cannot do that in a charitable nonprofit structure, there is something wrong with that structure. So, um, yeah, we're confronting all those money issues. And I'm sure that there will be lots of people who say like, oh, you're only doing that so that you can line your own pockets. That is a viewpoint you could bring to it. And in some ways, yes, that on one level that is true because this organization will not be able to make the impact it's here to make and not be sustainable if we're all living like paupers. So we need to be walking that talk also of, abundance is here to be enjoyed by us. If I'm desiring to, you know, drive a nice car or live in a nice home, I can do that and provide massive benefit to humanity at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. So I hope that gives you a little more insight into what we're tackling with these money issues. We've got to be able to bust those paradigms and that lack mentality about what it means to do good for humanity and be a spiritual being and be in abundance. It does. And I'm really excited about the content of what of our conversation and i'm also really excited about a vision that i'm having of this recording being able to be a powerful resource to communicate about bentinho and trinfinity and to potential investors and to have this recording be a very powerful uh, tool to empower everything you're wanting to have happen with Trinfinity. So it feels good to be able to, uh, to use some of my natural gifts and talents and strengths to be able to make a contribution uh, towards something that's so um, dear to my heart. Absolutely. I feel the same way. It's that micro to macro thing. Like, yeah, let's talk about Trinfinity, but actually let's let it be a model that wants to be anchored on the planet and any way that we can be a resource for that and a model for that. That's what we're here to do. Before we wind down the conversation, um, could you talk a little bit about um, 
Bentinho's teachings and um, the decision to make uh, the academy where his core teachings are shared to make that free to every human being on the planet. And also maybe if there's one other to infinity project that is uh, coming up soon that you're particularly passionate about, maybe pick another one and share about that. And then we'll move toward winding down the conversation in terms of uh, giving you an opportunity to share anything that is, strongly present for you and to make sure that you give all the contact information for you and for Trinfinity that you'd like to give out. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Trinfinity Academy being free is um, kind of foundational to this. Um, It is a deep desire to have this information, which we believe is the most efficient, most effective, most holistic um, encapsulation of that that integration of, as you said, self-actualization, self-empowerment that Pantinu represents in his teachings, to have those as widely available to anyone and everyone who is desiring and open to have that information coming into their consciousness. And one of the quick and easy barriers that we saw was money. And um, on the one hand, you could say, well, let's keep pushing those buttons around money. That felt a little slow to us. And we really are all about very quick, rapid impact on the largest scale possible. So Bentinho was really feeling into that vision of just imagine if you're in the midst of one of these modules of the academy and you're like, oh my gosh, I know 10 people who would love to hear this, but oh, they can't really afford it. So I'm not going to share it. Or I don't want to feel like I'm selling something to them or for them. And and what if you could just share that like a YouTube video that you're sharing out there on social media or sending links to your friends or family members or whatever, and just allowing that to exponentially reach the largest number of people who are ready and willing to hear that information. And so we said we've got to, or Bentinho rightly said, we've got to remove that barrier of the payment wall. And And again, that was a big leap of faith because that was the sole and large, largest source of income, not sole, largest source of income at the tune of 40 to $50,000 a month that the Academy was representing and being willing to say like, I don't know how we're going to replace that money. I'm not waiting to see that it's being replaced before making this call. I just trust in abundance and in the abundance of this community and the abundance of the universe to say, I know it's right to get this information out there as widely as possible So let's release it. And so right now, as of two days ago, let's see, when this airs, it'll be about a week or so. We made, uh, on September 30th, Trinfinity Academy, the existing academy, purely free. No other charges and payments will be coming in other than those that people, by their own choice, say, no, continue to take my payment every month because I want to support this effort. And many, many, many people have been doing that. And it's been a beautiful thing to see. Um, and, and then for those who feel like they, um, can't or won't, or don't want to, um, provide the money for that, they can just access it for free and share it freely. So we're just opening that up. We are going to be launching in mid October, a new, um, Academy website that kind of is redesigned to allow for this structure that doesn't have logins and registrations and payment walls and all that sort of thing. That's much more easily accessible and shareable. And as part of that, we will have um, an option for people to say, like, you know what, I've received amazing value. I want to give something in exchange for that and make it easy for them to do that. But it's not at all a requirement. We're just, you know, sort of seeing that 
in many ways, it's entirely possible that the Academy will actually generate more revenue on a like pay what or if you desire to pay something for this than it has on a strict payment model of where we set a price and somebody either has to choose to pay it or not. Um, so that is just a beautiful demonstration of abundance, trust, faith, and generosity that's happening. Um, and it's it's amazing. And it's already been so well received. We've been blown away by the expressions of gratitude and enthusiasm and engagement from the people that have been experiencing the Academy or have been wanting to experience the Academy. So that's already having a big ripple effect. It's exciting. And in many levels, uh, I mean, I love your comment about how it opens up for the universe to gift you in many different ways. For example, there could be a handful of very wealthy benefactors who decide they'd like to contribute tens of thousands of dollars. Exactly. Yeah. It, it takes any limit or, or definition off the table and just allows it to flow with whatever people feel is most aligned with themselves. And is there any other particular project as you look out into the Trinfinity horizon that you're particularly excited about that you'd like to let our listeners know about? Hmm. I'm ex- super excited about all of them and even more ideas that we're coming up with daily. So, but I will say the biggest focus right now and the um, biggest um, energy is moving toward our wave one projects, probably the largest one that has the most um, foundational fuel is Trinfinity network, where we see that um, there is a, an ability to create this massive network for people who are like-hearted, like-minded, who are engaged and aligned with this vision of an enlightened civilization by 2035 and want to live that way in their everyday world. So we see bringing this sort of technology platform that weaves in the best of, say, a Facebook, a Craigslist, a PayPal, a dating site. I mean, having these communities on one shared platform of where people could exchange goods together. They could exchange their services. They could create sub communities who like either geographically located, um, in a certain area or, um, groups that are really devoted to particular projects that want to come together in the community, um, and really creating that cohesive platform. First phase being within the Trinfinity community and the people that really resonate with Bentinho's teachings. And then with the view of opening it up to other like-minded sort of spiritual communities and tribes and saying, you know, Hey, we really resonate and overlap with your teachings and your followings. Would you like to join this Trinfinity network? And in fact, Trinfinity network is, is only a placeholder name. It's going to be called something else that isn't, um, isn't evoking a notion of its Bentinho's network. It's really, um, going to be something that's much more inclusive and open so that we like potentially start weaving in, you know, very many communities of, of other teachers who say, I believe in this central core vision of what Trinfinity is doing on the planet. And I want to, um, open up my network to this, to be able to have access to this. Can, and I, yeah, with, can I interrupt you for a minute? I, yes. I'm just chomping at the bit here <laughs> Please, because this brings up a, a real sticky wicket and that is when you begin to open it up like that, how do you deal with the issue of quality control? Excellent. And those are the questions we're asking ourselves. And that's why we want to make it really well functioning within the Trinfinity community first. 
where it's something that we know intimately and we know we've got an engaged community and that sort of thing. Um, and then once we get the, all the sort of moving parts in place and we say, yes, this is really the way we want to have this network functioning and then open it up to, um, it's really going to be again, one of those, like, we'll know it when we see it, we'll feel it when we see it. There's not necessarily, we may be able to get to a point where we can articulate very specifically, this is like the type of community that we'd want to welcome in. But the other thing that we want to bake into this is a customizable, personalized experience. So every individual can come in and decide for themselves, you know what? I love Bentinho's teachings. I don't so much resonate with Eckhart Tolle or whatever it is that that comes in. Um, so I'm going to be able to like say, I only want to receive notifications or be a part of these like sort of lens of these communities and not those so that it allows people to feel in for themselves what they're feeling most aligned with. And if they're not right now feeling aligned with others, that's great. If at some point they do want to kind of dabble in it, that's on offer too. So it's going to be this really, um, beautiful mixture and integration of a curated, almost like a good housekeeping seal of approval. Like we feel like these teachers are like, gotten through the ego sort of spirituality and, and really are like in alignment with this vision of an enlightened civilization by 2035 and doing it in their own way. And so we have like in a curated way, welcomed them into this community and in some way endorse them and allowing people to choose for themselves what makes sense for them at this moment in time. Well, it's going to be a very interesting journey. Um, well, Holly, this almost hour and a half has just been, just so thrilling and jam-packed and deep and energetic. And uh, thank you so much. And as we wind down, I want to make sure, as I mentioned, two things. One is to make sure that you have the last word, that you have a chance to say anything that you'd like to express to be complete for you today. And then also I want to make sure that you give out whatever contact information for you or Bentinho or Trinfinity that you would like to give out? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't really feel like I need to have a final word on everything. I feel like I've had a beautiful platform to say a lot. So thank you very much for that. I'm quite appreciative for myself and for the Trinfinity movement. Um, in terms of contact information, uh, the website, Sites are bentinomasaro.com, uh, trinfinityacademy.com, and trinfinity.us. And the .us is the site that lists all the projects in detail that we're working on and the timing of each of them and the kind of crowdfunding that's going along with that. Um, on Facebook, there's a vastly engaged, large community. We just hit, I think last night, 220,000 followers on Bentinho Masaro um, on his Facebook page. There's also a group called something, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but Bentinho Massaro's teachings and community or something like that, that's highly engaged, that if anyone would like to join that, that is open and very um, welcoming and rich with so many discussions on an ongoing basis. And Bentinho is, himself is very active in that group as well and very engaged. Um, and if anyone has any questions, concerns, I'm open to them. I will go ahead and give out my email address is holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at bentinomasaro.com. They can direct me, direct those questions to me. And I just ask that they kind of check in with themselves and ask if that's the best 
uh, way to do that because I am, as you might imagine, um, getting a bit inundated <laughs> with, uh, with lots of, uh, emails and, and inquiries and requests. And I really want to make sure I'm able to address them all in a really, um, efficient, effective, impactful way. So yeah, I'm, I'm open to answering any and all questions. And I, I invite sort of that beautiful combination of personal accountability and responsibility for people to check in with themselves and get really clear about why they're asking the question and what they hope to gain from it, if that makes sense. Sure. Could you spell Bentinho Massaro? Absolutely. B-E-N-T-I-N-H-O-M-A-S-S-A-R-O.com. And then one thing I'd like to add is that there is a Bentinho Massaro YouTube channel, which has a lot. When I say a lot, I mean like over a couple of hundred Bentinho yes. Massaro videos that go back quite a few years. So that's another resource as well. Yeah, absolutely, David. Thank you for mentioning that. And that is one of the areas of focus where we'll be even more building that ch- YouTube channel up even even more. So thank you. Beautiful. Holly, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition. I was going to say a special edition. <laughs> A very unique edition, a very powerful edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. And we've been interviewing Holly McCann, the CEO of Trinfinity. My name is Dr. David. I'm the Cutting Edge Doc, and I am the creator and host of this podcast, Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing spirituality, and transformation. And so with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.